The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their heart was hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to children's church, please join our volunteers over by the Kids Zone sign. Thanks, Kenya. Thank you to Kenyon for reading that. Why couldn't my preacher voice sound like his speaking voice? Instead, I have to sound like Kermit the Frog up here and ironically have to speak for a living. So um, this morning is a tough passage, but it's a great passage. Uh, But I just kind of want to give a disclaimer and a warning. Uh, The first seven or ten minutes, I don't have it exactly timed, of processing the passage is really hard medicine. And so uh, you may hear some of those things or if you don't believe, hear some of these things and be like, why would anyone follow this and get up and leave? But then you'll miss the hope in the passage. And so there is hard medicine here for us, but there's also really sweet medicine. And so just bear with me as we walk through this difficult passage together. If you would pray with me and we'll ask God to bless our study of his word this morning. Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? I praise you and I thank you that you actually feed your people. Not just the feeding of the 5,000, but also the feeding that takes place in here. You use your word. And by your spirit, you meet us where we're at. And you strengthen us for the walk ahead of us, you comfort us when we're weary, you encourage us when we're downtrodden. God, I ask that you would feed your your people this morning by your spirit. They're carrying burdens that only they fully know just how how devastating, how, how isolating, how numbing they can be. 
And right now they feel like no one sees them. And I ask in your own, in the way that only you can, you'll cause them to feel seen and loved and cared for. You see, we want to follow you, but we're afraid we've sinned too much. Or we're afraid that we're on our own. Would you convince us that that's not true? It's in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. The bottom of the ocean. 3,300 feet to the bottom of the ocean. More people have been to the moon than have been to this place. That's how remote it is. And along, on the way down, they talk about how color is such a huge part of uh, the world. The color that we see with our eyes. The color phenomenon. And they talk about how the further they go down to the bottom of the ocean, there's less and less light that gets through. And because there's less and less light that gets through, there's less and less colors you can see. So literally, the, the further down you go away from the light, you start having colors drop out of your visual acuity. So as they head to the bottom, somewhere so deep that even light can't get down there. The deeper you go, the more light you lose, and with that, colors. So Will Smith gets in this, it looks like his bright red shirt is dark navy blue. That's why everything in the ocean starts to look like navy. Everything you do, and they finally turn off the lights to the sub. And when they turn off the lights to the sub, you see this bioluminescence. It's this glorious chemical reaction where creatures will use oxygen in the water to create light. So essentially what he's demonstrating is even when you get down to the very bottom and you can't see anything, there's nothing left, there's no more light, there's more going on than you can see. The reason that I tell you that story is because there are moments in our lives where we feel like we're just continuing to descend into darkness. The bright and happy colors of life sort of fade away and things get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer until you can't see anything anymore. Maybe you're there this week. You can't see any light. You can't see how things are going to get better, how things are going to improve, and you're at the bottom, and it's dark. And what I want to remind you is maybe there's more going on than you can see. Maybe there's still life there. You just can't see it. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. You see, we all struggle when times are tough. When life is hard, we all struggle to believe in the God of the Bible. But because of who Jesus is, we're free to put our trust in him in the storm. Well, first of all, he's the one that sends us into storms. He's the one that sends us into storms. This is sort of the hard medicine that we were talking about before. Look with me in the text, please. The first few verses. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. 
And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on a mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. The first thing I want you to see in this text is that Jesus is the one who sent his disciples into the storm. Jesus is the one who sent his disciples into the storm. Hang with me. The first reason we see him do this is because of his own agenda. We don't know why, just from Mark's account, why Jesus is in such a hurry. You see, what's happened is, is he just fed fifteen or 20,000 people. The disciples have this really public moment where they're walking around distributing all this food. And, and for some reason, we, we get the sense that uh, they want to linger. It says that Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. It's like, he's like, fellas, let's go, let's go. It's time to get in the boat. And they're like, hold on just a second, just a few more people I want to greet. Just a few more people I want to shake their hands. Jesus, we had a big day today, and I kind of want to bask in it. And he's like, let's go. And he makes them get into the boat. We're not sure from this text alone why Jesus is in such a hurry, but John tells the same story and gives different details. In John's gospel, it says this, John 6, 14 through 15. It says, they were going to make him king. Sorry. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So here's the picture. These people have come to listen to Jesus speak, and he has fed fifteen or 20,000 people. And with all of these people around, they're gathered together. They've just had this incredible spiritual, physical experience. And now they're like, now is the time. We'll take back Israel. We'll get rid of Rome once and for all. Now is the time. And they want to use him feeding of the 5,000 to, to make him a king by force, to use violence. And Jesus has no desire for them to use violence, and Jesus doesn't come for this kind of kingdom, and so he has no interest in their agenda. No interest in their agenda. And so he says, guys, it's time to get into the boat. Go. And then he sends the crowd away. Go. And then he himself leaves. And the reason that I draw that to your attention is that we all come to Jesus with different agendas. You may not want Jesus to help you take over land by force. But their agenda you come when you bring to Jesus. You want Jesus to make you wealthy. You want Jesus to make you happy. You want Jesus to take away all of your boo-boos. And you see all of us come with an agenda for Jesus. And Jesus sends them all away. What I want you to see, and this is the beginning of the hard medicine, is Jesus wants Excuse me, Jesus does what he wants to do full stop. Jesus does what he wants to do full stop. It would be so great, Jesus, if you would just give me what I want. It would be so great, Jesus, if you would just snap your hands and fix my marriage. It would be so great, Jesus, if you would just give me a husband or a wife. It would be so great, Jesus, if you would just give me a baby. You know that that's what I want. Why won't you get on my page? Why won't you be the kind of king I want you to be, the kind of king who gives me what I want when I want? And that's what the crowd is doing here. You see, the crowd is gathering, and they're thinking, this is the time to get what we want. 
And if we're honest, we draw near to Jesus often and it's to get what we want. It would just be so great, Jesus, if you would do what I want you to do. And he won't do it. He won't be made into some violent king who's after land and after the Romans. And he won't be Santa Claus either. He won't give you what you want when you ask for. This is a real king. And Jesus does what he wants to do. And he gets us on his agenda. He does not get on ours. And I want you to see that. Part of why some of you have drawn near to Jesus and then wandered off in your hearts is because you had something very specific for him to do for you. And as of yet, he's not done it. And in fact, you're in the middle of the storm and you don't understand why. You're in the middle of this difficulty, this burden that you're bearing, you're in the middle of it and it feels like no one's in control. But what I want you to understand just from this text is that the reason that you're in the storm that you're in is not because no one is in control, it's because Jesus is in control. The reason that you're in the storm that you're in is not because things are out of control. It's because Jesus put you there on purpose. Now that's hard medicine. Because you think, well that's not what I wanted. That's not what I'm here for. I didn't want you, Jesus, to, to, to give me this storm. I, I'm interested in you doing what I want you to do. And that's what the hard medicine is, is the very storm that you feel like you're in, Jesus put you there on purpose, just as he does to his disciples. And you may think, I, I'm not sure I want to follow a Jesus like that, who could let me be in this storm. I mean, he could get you out of it. Remember, just two or three chapters ago in Mark, the disciples are being overwhelmed by the storm on the boat and they wake Jesus up and Jesus goes, hush, and it goes, whoom. Jesus could get you out of your storm, but he leaves you in it. And that's hard medicine. But Jesus is in control. He, he does what he wants to do and calls us to join him in his agenda. You're not where you're at because things are out of control. You're where you're at because Jesus is in control. But also see, not just because of his agenda of not being wanted to make king with force like this. You also see because of his plans for his disciples. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Beth Bethsaida. And while he missed the crowd, dismissed the crowd, after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And the evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw them that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He put them in the storm. He put them in the storm. And then he watched him strain at the oars. 
Commentators say that they've been at rowing for like seven and a half hours by this point. You can tell by the time markers in the text, the third hour, fourth hour, fourth watch. They've been at rowing for seven and a half hours, and he's been watching it take place after he prays. He doesn't rush down there. When he sees him, there's still more time that takes place. He forced them to get in the water. You get in towards that storm. And he saw them straining. I think it's kind of the Lord to show us that. Because if we have to deal with the fact that he's the one sending us into the storms, it would be so good if we also knew that he, he saw how hard it really was for us. You see it? And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully. He sees them straining. Yes, it's him that's in control. The, the very thing that, the very burden that you're bearing, the very storm that you're in, God is the one that put you in it, but he sees you. He doesn't put you in it and walk away. He sees you. He sees you straining at the oars. Don't think for one second he doesn't. He sees you in your singleness. He sees you in your infertility. He sees you in your cancer. He sees you in your chronic pain. He sees you in your depression. He sees you. Yes, he's the one whose agenda we're going to be following. He's the one who sends us the storm, but he sees us in it. And I want to point this out to you because it jumped off the pages of every commentary I read. They are in this storm because they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They are in this storm because they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. We think if we're straining, oh, life is hard, life is messy, life's a storm right now, it must be because I disobeyed. It must be because I'm still sinning. It must be because I'm an addict. And here we see them straining and discouraged and exhausted because they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. And friends, you may be straining at the oars because you have done precisely what God called you to do. In fact, following Jesus will make you strain at the oars. And it's almost worse. It's almost worse when you feel these storms, and you were doing what you were supposed to do. Not this Christmas 2021, but the Christmas 2020. A very COVID Christmas, we'll call it. You see, what had happened was, is we had worked so hard to plant this church. And in fact, the service right before COVID shut down our church in March 2020, the service that it that that had happened just before we had to stop meeting, there were 350 people there. And then it's April, and it's May, and it's June, July, August, September, October, November, December. And in our Christmas Eve service of COVID Christmas 2020, there were 34 people in the room. I know numbers aren't everything, but 34 people in the room. I left and we ate pizza and we watched Home Alone and I put the kids to bed and Aaron went to bed and my Christmas tradition is to wait until everyone goes to bed and wrap Aaron's Christmas presents. 
she wraps everyone else's. I think it's rude if I were to say, would you mind wrapping your own Christmas presents? As everyone's asleep and I'm beginning to wrap Aaron's Christmas presents, I seethed with rage at God. In a storm, because I had followed. This is what I said to him. I did this for you. I left a fantastic job at the healthiest church in America with newborn twins for you. And this is the repayment I get. This is the deserve, the thanks I deserve. I obeyed what you told me to do, so why am I straining at the oars? And friends, I know you know that feeling. Jesus, I was in this trying to do the right thing. And life's harder now because I was trying to do the right thing. It would have been easier for me to just cash in on my integrity. I'm following you and it's harder because I'm following you. And some of you are struggling because you think you did something wrong and that's difficult. But imagine others of you are struggling when you set out to do something right and it makes it even harder in some ways. That they're in a storm because they did exactly what God told them to do and they got hit because of it. My friend Joe Novenson was quoting Paul Tripp on this passage. And Paul Tripp says, you know what that means? You know what that feeling is? You know what that feeling is when God sends you into a storm and that storm is too big for you and that storm is scarier than you imagined and that storm is impossible for you to, for you to manage. Do you know what that's called? And then Tripp paused a second and he screamed, Grace! It's a grace to you to be sent into a storm to bring you to the end of yourself. It's a grace to you to drive out all of your energy and all of your perseverance so that you will fling yourself on the Almighty. It's grace. You see, we don't look at it that way. We think grace would have been for him to just say, hush, and the storm to stop. But you know them. If he had looked down on them from the mountain and been like, hush, to the storm, you know what? They would have been like, ha, probably Peter. I knew we could get that through that storm. Thanks, gents, for following me. Now on to Bethsaida. No. No. You see, they have to come to the end of themselves. They have to exhaust all of their abilities, all of their, all of their discipline, all of their... Everything they have, they have to exhaust it. And when they exhaust it, they get to encounter the living God who draws near to them on the water. But it's grace, it's grace for God to wear you out so that you won't cling to anything but him. It's grace for God to not fix things you'd like him to fix so that you will draw near to him. You see, when you exhaust yourself and there's nothing left, all you have is God. All you have is Jesus. And that's what he wants for you. These things that are too big for you, they're too scary, they're too hard to manage. It's grace that he sent you that storm. And what's this weird detail about he was about to pass them by? He meant to pass them by, but when he saw them walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. You get this weird, weird vision of Jesus walking on the water, like trying not to disturb the disciples. And they're like, ah, and he's like, okay, fine. 
It's like he didn't want to ride with them in the boat, but now he feels bad and gets in the boat with them. No, it's not what it's there for. It's just a biographical detail. Remember, Peter is telling this story to Mark, and Mark is probably asking questions to fully understand it. Peter's telling him this story. And he said, it even looked like he was going to walk straight by us, and then we saw something and we yelled. But what you see in the text is that Jesus waited throughout the night and watched them. And some of you feel like I have prayed and struggled in this storm and he's just not showing up. He's just not showing up. And what I want you to see is just because he's making you wait doesn't mean he has no plans to act. Just because he's making you wait doesn't mean he has no plans to act. One of the commentators pointed this to this passage in Job chapter 9, 8 through 11. You tell me what this sounds like. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. When he passes by me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. You see, it's as if Mark, through Peter, is taking us along the ride and saying, you know who this is, this one that's walking on the water. It's the one who was there at the beginning. It's the one who created water and created wind and created storms. And so even if he does send his disciples, which is you and me at this point, he send his people into the storms, we're supposed to have comfort that he owns the water, that he is in control of the waves, that even you don't understand what he's doing, he is the one who stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. I cannot see him, I cannot perceive what he's doing, but he knows what he's doing. And he meets them at the end of the night, you see? He's been waiting and waiting and waiting, and then finally he comes to meet them. It's four o'clock in the morning. Their arms have to be just exhausted. They've dropped the sail so that the waves won't push over their boat. The wind won't push over their boat. They're tired and worn down, and they're probably no doubt frustrated with Jesus. Friends, are you there? Is it so dark you can barely see? Have the waves battered your arms? made you feel empty. You've heard me use it before, Charles Spurgeon's quote, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. The storms in your life are, in, are controlled by God. The storms in your life are sent for you on purpose. Why? We don't know. But we do know. And so that you will learn to be thrown against the rock of ages. That you will find comfort in the rock of ages. So that you won't find comfort in wealth or in your health or in God giving you what you want. That you'll find comfort in the only thing that there really ultimately is in him. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me into the rock of ages. God does send us into storms, but he sees us in those storms. And he moves towards us. 
Maybe you don't, you don't believe. Maybe you're here and you're like, this is part of why I don't believe, Jared. It's because Christians take the worst things in people's lives and then they say, oh, well, God is in control. You just have to have more faith. And I'm glad you're here. You're sick of Christians trying to tell you that God is in control, sick of people making peace with the darkness of the world. And to that, I say thank you. I get it. But wouldn't you rather know that a storm, that someone can control a storm? Is it really good news that there's a storm out there and it's fierce and it's unrelenting and good news, no one has any control of it? Wouldn't you rather admit in humility that there's a storm and you don't know why it's there and you don't know when it's going to stop, but someone is in control of that storm? That's what he's saying here is, I'll send you into the storm, but I see you in it and I am in control of the storm. And he's patient with their unbelief. He's patient with their unbelief. Look in 49. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. The disciples actually scream. It says cried up. They actually scream. But part of what we're supposed to do is poke fun at the disciples. And we're good at that. You see, these guys are hard-hearted. It says they didn't understand about the loaves. They didn't understand about the loaves. Earlier that very day, they watched Jesus of Nazareth divide up a few loaves and fishes for 15,000 people. They have watched Jesus raise a little girl from the dead. They have watched Jesus in a boat look at a storm and say, hush, and it stops. They're probably weary that day because they had to go provide more food and go get more food and go get more food and pass it out. They've watched Jesus provide and provide and provide. And those same guys in the same boat from the same day think they're abandoned by God and that nature has power over them. It's easy to poke fun at the disciples. Let's go ahead and poke fun at ourselves for a second. Those of you who trust in Christ, you watched as Jesus, just we celebrated at Christmas, left the throne room of glory to become a nobody from nowhere, rejected by everyone that should embrace him, die alone on a cross, be raised from the dead, vanquish death. And if it wasn't enough that he killed death, then he gives us his Holy Spirit and says, I know it's going to be hard to believe in me in a world like this. Take my spirit. It'll encourage you. I'll walk with you. I will vow that you will never, I will never ever leave you. No matter what you're going through, I will be with you to the very end of the age. And then... We hear all of that, and something bad happens. And we act as if there's no hope, that the storm is totally out of control, that all is lost, or that we're all really alone. And not just Christians 
in general your story. How about Christians, your specific story? Think about your story when things were hard and you saw Jesus pursue you and pursue you and pursue you and comfort you and care for you and convict you and lead you back to him. Again and again, he'd pursue you amid your doubt, amid your pain, and you've seen him rescue you again and again. You've seen him draw near to you and give you comfort and hope and a new life. And when the waves come, you become an atheist again, all at once. We're supposed to smile and smirk at the disciples because we're looking at ourselves. We've seen him do the unthinkable. We've seen him do the impossible. And something difficult comes and the waves come and the winds come and we become an atheist all over again. See if you don't recognize this voice in your heart when you're thinking about calling on Jesus again after you've struggled. Don't call on him. He isn't real anyway. My voice is just hitting the ceiling. There's nothing, it's not going anywhere. He's not real. Don't call on him. He doesn't care about you anyway. Don't call on him. He can help. He could help. He just doesn't want to help. He doesn't like you. Don't call on him. He doesn't have the power to move. Do you hear that? When you're in the storm, you will conclude that you're in the storm because of his absence. And friends, what I'm freeing you to do today is to look at your storms of life and conclude that you have his presence that you're in the storm specifically because he puts you there and he's in control of it. You're in the storm specifically because he sees you in it and is with you in it and comes to you in it and promises, I will never leave you in the middle of this storm. Never. I will not walk away from you. He meets us in the storms. Look at verse 50. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. Wouldn't you think Jesus is just about done with these guys? They wake him up in a boat. And they say, don't you even care if we drown? And they keep questioning him along the way. And then he's just fed a stadium full of people. They're in the same boat on the same water again, and they're panicking. And wouldn't you think that he'd just be like, all right, you're all fired. I'm starting over. No, he's gentle. That's why you hang in there. It's because he's gentle. Because he sees you into the... He sent you into the storm, and he sees you in the storm, and even when you cry out in unbelief, he's gentle with you and says, I get it. Take courage, it's me. Don't be afraid. And I want you to hear him saying that to you in your particular storm today. Hey, hey, you've seen me be with you. I'm not going anywhere. Take courage. Don't be afraid. That's what he's saying to you in your storm. The terminology he uses here is he says, take courage, I am. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. The language he's drawing to our attention. Remember when Moses is out in the burning bush and God says 
to Moses, go and set my people free. We see God's heart for his people. And Moses says, okay, but who should I tell them sent me? And he says, I am sent you. And then when they come to kill Jesus, when they come for him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they come and they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. You know what he says in that moment? I am. And they all fall to their knees. And all their swords and all their shields, they fall to their knees because Yahweh is standing in front of them. And what he's trying to get them to connect the dots is when they're in the middle of the storms, he's saying, I am. The one that you've heard about, the one that you've had taught you, the one from way back, the one who created wind and water, I am is with you. I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. That's what he's telling him. That's what he's telling you. Yes, God sends you into storms, but God sees you in the storm and he is with you in the storm. And when you doubt, he says, take courage, it's me, it's me. I'm not going anywhere. You see, we're afraid that whatever it is that we lose in life will never be, will never be made whole. Have you ever lost something that is kind of sacred to you? I mean, it's not the end of the world, but you're like, I don't even like thinking about it. I'll never have that back. That's what we're afraid of in losing is that, excuse me, that's what we're afraid of in our storms that we'll lose something that just can't, it can't be made whole. It can't be made new. When I was a little kid at Christmas time, my grandfather would walk around to me and my siblings. There are four of us and he would pass out $50 bills. Like as a little kid. And my dad would give it a minute, wait till no one was paying attention, and walk around and collect those $50 bills. But he would hand us two single bills in return. Essentially, he didn't want us to lose 50 bucks. But as I got older and started to realize the transaction that was taking place, it was like, hold on a second here. You took something from me, and I, I can't get that back. This, this exchange, I can't get it back. And that's what you feel like when you're suffering, when you're in the storm, that you'll, you'll lose something that you can't, you can't have repaid. We sang it this morning, and be still my soul. Jesus will repay from his own fullness all he takes away. Jesus will repay from his own fullness all he takes away. What that means is on that great day, when we're all there, battered and bruised from life. Battered and bruised from life. And we've taken hits and we've really lost. That you will stand there so grateful for all that you've lost because you, it led you straight to that room. He will repay from his own fullness all he takes away. And Matthew closes it by saying, Mark doesn't get to this part, but Matthew does. He says, and he climbed into the boat and the wind died down and those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. That's the only response for somebody who can send you a storm, see you in the storm, draw near to you, care for you. And no matter what the storm takes from you, you're actually grateful because it brought you to him. 
It's worship. Friends, Jesus will repay from his own fullness all he takes away from you. He sees you in the storm. He's with you in the storm. Don't give up. Let's pray. Father, we, we admit that we don't like your storms, but we take great comfort in the fact that you see us in them and that they were sent by you. They weren't sent by happenstance or nothingness. They were sent by a God who is for us. And we thank you for that. We ask that you would teach us to find you in the storm to not give up. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Friends, this morning we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper. I'll call you into confession. The Apostle John wrote, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. In the strength of this assurance, let us confess our sins to God. Let's pray. Jesus, hear us as we confess all of the things that we would rather have than having you in the storm. For all of our doubts and accusations against you when we're in the storm, hear us as we silently confess our sin. Jesus, we're so grateful that when your floundering disciples, literally screaming out, see you, you say, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Because of what you've done, we're no longer afraid. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. You say, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Because of what you've done, we're no longer afraid. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.